All right, well, how's everybody doing? Everybody doing all right? Hanging in there? It is Thanksgiving week. It's a happy Thanksgiving. Welcome today to New Life Church. It's so good to see all of you guys with us today. Thanks for being with us um, to worship the Lord. And uh, here at New Life Church, we're a church that's aiming our lives to, for Jesus to be the center of our life, our church, our community. And, um, and we do that with the, the gospel. We do that with, through the Great Commission. We do that through gathering together as the church. So welcome this morning. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is where we've been hanging out for the last several weeks. We're, uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to close it out today. I had planned to. And uh, when I was up earlier this morning looking over some things, I don't think I'm going to rush just to get points across, okay? So if it's all right with you, we'll go as far as we can. It's uh, 1056, so we've got until 3.30, I think. So I kid, I joke, I will not be here at that time unless the Lord just knocks me down, so... Um, but uh, we've been talking about a series that's called Living as the Joshua Generation. Um, some years have gone by. They obviously have crossed over the Jordan River by now, and we've gone through all the famous stuff, if you will. The march around Jericho, uh, the famous march, the spies being sent in prior to that, uh, then the walls falling down at, at Jericho with the march and their shout, and then we talked about AI and how they lost and then how they won and some lessons learned through all of that. And what we're discovering through this entire story is that there's no magic formula to just fruitful, abundant living. It comes down to really trusting and obeying God. And a lot of times that is nitty-gritty. A lot of times that is just dirty, that is messy, because faith is not always clean. It's not always a clear-cut thing, and it takes trusting God. It takes grasping Him. It takes going to Him. It takes pouring out our heart to Him. It takes laying our lives down before Him and trusting Him to pick us up, to hold us, to carry us, and to keep us. And, and then it also requires walking it out. Um, I don't know about you, but oftentimes it's easier to get excited about God than it is to obey God. I know, right? You got one thought, one person thinking, yeah, that was good. But that's so hard, right? We, we, we can get excited about the things of God, and we should. We should be passionate. We should be, we should be you know, inspirational in our, in our pursuit, but at the same time, it, it's a little harder, a lot harder to put one foot in front of the other sometimes to just begin to walk this thing out. And that's what we begin, that's what we see throughout the story of Joshua and how God was working in his life, how God was using his life to lead Israel uh, into the promised land. And, and this, this story starts out, uh, or, or excuse me, it ends kind of the way it starts out with an earnest commitment to God. Joshua was picked and as the successor of Moses, and Joshua's one of his first tasks was to tell all of Israel, hey, consecrate yourself. Separate your heart today. Get yourself ready for what God wants to do. 
because God's about to take off in this thing. Cue the plane. <laughs> Could not have scripted that. That's <laughs> what you get here in Denmark. You get planes. In the summertime, you get, you get uh, crickets and birds, and, and you often can hear frogs and out in the country. And, uh, but, and, and Joshua's first task was to, was to call Israel to a place of consecration. And whenever we get to it, at the end, it ends kind of that way too. The famous verse of Joshua twenty four fifteen, As for me, come on, in my house, what? Come on, you, you, a lot of us know that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's it. one of his last few statements that he made. But then you got all the in-betweens. You got all the in-betweens that take place. A lot of battles a lot of weariness, a lot of marching, a lot of walking, a lot of conquering, a lot of exploring, a lot of establishing, a lot of, a lot of trying to see, okay, God, what are you wanting to do? Anybody ever feel like that's your life sometimes? God, what are you wanting to do with me? What is it you've got me in this place for? What, this place of life that I'm in, I feel confident that this is where I belong, but at the same time, I'm unsure about what it is you're really trying to do with me. This situation, God, I didn't expect it to turn out like this. This is not the way I would have planned it. So what are you saying? What are you trying to do in this part of my life right now? What is it you're wanting to speak to me? What, what, what kind of attention is it you want me to have on your thing and your, your purpose and your will right now? That's a lot about life. And, and so he had all this in-between stuff, and, but I think the, it, the foresight that Joshua had as a leader was he understood, I believe, he understood that he was not just a, a leader at this time just because, and he was not leading Israel uh, to just go into a land, to just have a new home, to just have some new space, just to have what, what it, whatever it was that God had promised them. It was more than that. There's more to the story. And I think the thing that Joshua had, the insight and the foresight he had in, the, in his heart's desire was he wanted to lead Israel to be able to build a legacy for future generations. Because you see, Joshua understood the text and the history of the relationship God was having with man. He understood it was Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob and then so on and so forth through Moses and now through him. And as you keep reading throughout the Old Testament, you begin to see God continue to, to have relationship with his people. So I believe Joshua understood this was not just about conquering and having something just for them to experience, just so they could have some things for themselves, but it was to build a legacy for the future. Well, the world population, you might have heard, on November the 15th reached a staggering 8 billion people. That's a lot of people. Eight billion people. The U.S. population is right around 333 million people. And some numbers show that in the, in the United States, 64% of Americans identify as Christian. Decent, 213 million people, roughly. In the world, those numbers are about 32% identify as Christian, translated 2.56 billion. So out of 8 billion people, 8 billion 
humans, 8 billion souls, 2.56 billion say they identify as a believer in Christ. In America, 213 million. LifeWay recently conducted a research. They're always doing some of these, but here's some things that they, that they uh, put out in a report recently that I read. They said that U.S. Christians will fall below 50% of the population in the coming decades. We're at 64% right now. 34% of U.S. Christians attended church at least weekly prior to COVID. Now only 26% say the same. 54% in evangelicals believe that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regular worship participation. And they go on to make this statement. It said, if nothing changes, all the stats remain the same, the United States church, the Christians in America, will continue to shrink in size and influence. One of the big parts of that are young adults. They say 66% of those who regularly attended church as a teenager, they drop out for at least a year, and some don't return at all. So the question that we're going to look at today and whenever we come back around to Joshua is that what can we do and how and what should we be doing to help live for the future generations? So the title of this message is called Living for the Future. And Lord willing, I'll come back and finish it at a later date. But I want to, this, the, the rest of Joshua... I think, answers that question, and it relays some real valuable insight as to our role today in order to build families, churches, communities for Jesus to always be the center of all of those lives. So we're going to look at a few of these today, and the first one is in chapter 9. The first one is in chapter 9, and it's this. We can teach our family and we can model to our families to ask God what he thinks before we act. To ask God what he thinks before we act. Joshua 9, 14 says, So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. No context there if I just read that and you have like, what does that even mean? The story goes, Joshua and And Israel had conquered a lot. They were continuing to fight. And there were the people of Gibeon who had come and they deceived Joshua and his leaders and the people. They had tricked them into thinking they were someone that they were not and making it appear that they were from some far distant nations, far distant land, far distant land, but actually they were nearby. Well, because... Uh, they did not, is Joshua and, the, and his leaders did not consult the Lord. They were duped. Anybody ever been deceived by anybody before? I know, doesn't it make you feel real stupid? At least me. Like, man, I really thought that was different. Come to find out, complete opposite of that. And it kind of makes you think, kind of makes you question some things. But what happened was Joshua and his leaders made a peace treaty with these people. And so they could not go back on their word, meaning they, were, they, they had to let them live. And when they found out who they were, all the people got cr- 
up in an uproar, and they were like, why did we do this? Why, why, why are we still uh, making a peace treaty with these folks? And Joshua explained to them, hey, we already did it. We're not going to go back on our word. They can live. They'll stay with us, but they'll be our woodcutters and our water carriers. Pretty low people on the totem pole, if you will. And perhaps their deception came because they did not take the time to ask God what he thought before they acted. And how many times have we gotten ourselves in a jam, gotten ourselves in a bind, gotten ourselves in a situation, gotten ourselves into something we've bit off more than we could chew because we didn't take the time to ask God what he thought first. We just thought, I know better, this sounds good, this looks good, this feels right. All of the natural inclinations showing, man, the favor of the Lord is on me, right? But we did not ask God, what does he think about any of this? Joshua knew better, because let's look at it in Numbers chapter 27. You can look at it with me on the screen. Numbers 27, 21. When Joshua was picked to be the next leader after Moses, here's what the Lord said. When direction from the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eleazar the priest, who will use the Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord, to determine his will. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything that they should do. Joshua knew what he needed to do, and Joshua knew better than what he had done. He should have paused, taken time when he was introduced to these people to ask the Lord, what is it you think? You know, before we face our world, we need to face our God. Before we face our day, we need to take time to face and put ourselves in position to see what does God have for us today. He's not going to reveal every single step we're going to take, but what he will do is give us assurance as we rely on him, as we show ourselves to be dependent on him, and he will do what the Bible calls his order, our steps, and our thoughts as we go forth. We don't always get it. We don't always listen. We don't always understand But at least if we put ourselves in that position, God, what do you think about this today? What do you think about this situation I have going on at school? I've got this teacher. I've got this situation. God, what do you think about this situation I have at work? I've got this coworker. I've got this demand from my boss and my boss's boss, and they're putting a squeeze on us. They're putting the pressure on us. God, I don't, I've got this coworker. God, what do you think about this situation? I've got this family member, Lord. Maybe you've been proposed with an opportunity to take a different job. Maybe you, you're in a, maybe you're single and you're looking to mingle and you're like, man, do, I really like this person. Ask God what he thinks before entering into anything serious. Wisdom tells us this in Proverbs 3. We've tried to make this a famous verse or two. Trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. And with all your heart, rely on him to guide you. And he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do. And he will lead you 
wherever you go. Wisdom tells us, trust the Lord with all things. Decisions, opportunities, relationships, things that don't make sense, take the time to place them in the hands of the Lord. And when we do that, God will never steer us wrong. He will never steer you wrong. And I love how this the Passion Translation flares it up a little bit. Become intimate with the Lord. Get to know Him. Become one with Him. Walk close with Him. And He will lead you wherever it is you go. And Jesus talked about this in John 14 in preparing His disciples for His departure and preparing the future followers of Him. The Holy Spirit will come. My Father's going to give you a gift. The Holy Spirit. He's called the Advocate, the Helper, the Comforter, the Encourager, the Counselor. Rely on the inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. But to rely on that, to rely on Him in that way, means we've got to take the time to ask Him. Not a last-minute ditch you know, effort. We already know what we're going to do, so we're just going to ease our conscience a little bit. No, we need to seriously, God, what is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? How do you want me to walk through this? How do you, whatever it is, and be patient. Consult him. Ask him. Joshua made a mistake. He honored his word, but perhaps he would not have been in that position had he taken the time to just ask the Lord. What do you think? Here's another aspect on how we can live our life now with the future in mind. It's to teach our family and to model to be able to listen for God's voice. The first two kind of go hand in hand. Let's look at this in Joshua 10. So they had continued to deal with their enemies. They had continued to try to do what God had called them to do, establish themselves and conquer and all of these things. And, and, and these other nations and these other armies were coming up against them. They were joining forces to try to take them out and they sent, a, sent, a, um, sent some out to try to come out against them and taunt them and they, the people of Gibeon that they had made this peace treaty with. And so Joshua was like, okay, we, 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 what do we do? And here's what happens in verse 8. The Lord speaks to Joshua. And says, do not be afraid of them, the Lord said. I have given you victory over them. And not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Teaching our family and modeling as best as we can to take the time to listen for the voice of the Lord. Look at this text in John chapter 10. It's a New Living Translation. Jesus' words in red. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice. 
You, hear, you see that? The sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. As parents, we teach our children to recognize mom and dad's voice, right? Especially when you use their full legal name. When that full legal name gets used. Or when Thomas, to his entire clan, says, Vargis! It's amazing. I want to encourage you to stop one day when Thomas does that and watch his family, every single one of them. Time to go. I mean, they could be in the middle of whatever. Vargis! They follow that voice. They follow that voice. If I do that, they'll be like, that's funny. You're trying to be like my dad. That's cool. That's, I got to tell him that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Sheep know their shepherd's voice. But we have to take the time to be able to learn the voice of the Lord. I was about 18, 19 years old in college, and I was trying to figure out my future. And I was asking the Lord, obviously, to show me what to do, but one thing I wanted to know for sure, because I knew at some point in time I was going to be responsible for the decisions I made officially from here on out in my life, and I was like, God, I need to know your voice clearer. What are you saying? I need to know that when I'm walking and doing life and whatever it is ahead of me, that I'm actually following your voice and not my own self or not the ideas or the opinions of everybody else. And so I was asking him at that point in time kind of to do that. And I was driving and running an errand one night. I lived in a smaller town at the time, a smaller community. And um, the Lord said, hey, you see that person walking? Ask them if they need a ride, something I don't ever do never do, especially at 19, 18, 19 years old. And um, I was like, I'm not doing That's crazy. And so I drive, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe if they're there when I go back. Well, goodness gracious, wouldn't you know it, they're there when I go back. I just roll my window down and slow, just a slow roll, you know. I don't stop, just a slow roll. And it is, you know, I had to lean over and do like that. And I was like, hey, do you need a ride? And they said, no, I'm good. I was like, okay, fine by me. (laughs) And I kept on going. And I was like, Lord, what's up with that? You told me to ask them for a ride, and they don't even need a ride. He goes, I never told you they would get in. That was just one of the learning curves at that time. Just wanted to see if you would listen. God knew what needed to happen in that situation. But that is something, as we prepare and practice living now with the future in mind, we have to be able to teach and model to our families and our church 
hey, let's listen to what the Lord has to say. Wisdom says this in Proverbs eleven fourteen. 14. And here's, this is always good, especially if you're unsure. Are you hearing the Lord? Are you accurately understanding what he's trying to tell you? Wisdom says this, where there is no counsel, the people will fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And in 1522, the Passion translates it this way, your plans will fall apart right in front of you if you fail to get good advice. But if you first seek out multiple counselors, you'll watch your plans succeed. If we're unsure, and we know we've been asking God, but we still aren't sure, one of the best things you and I can do is not just anybody, not just people that we believe will just tell us what we want to hear, but true people we respect in our life. Hey, here's the full context of my situation. What do you think? Ask a few folks who are, have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our life to follow the Lord, and you know they would never steer you wrong intentionally. Take the time. Hey, I'm considering this. What, and I'm unsure. I'm, pray, I'm really praying about it. I'm not just telling you that because that's what the Christian needs says to do. I really am, and I really want to know. Or, hey, here's how I've handled this situation. And I don't know that if I handled it well, is there something I could do to maybe make it right? You, you name the situation. You name the context. But there's a safety net in the multitude of counselors. Because if there are two or three all saying real similar things to your answer or to your question, chances are that's probably what you need to do. But it's always up to us to always take the time to ask God and to wait and listen. I've told you this story before, but before we moved here in 2005, I was asked two years prior about moving here to become a leader here and a pastor here at this church. And I was like, I have no clue if that's what I'm supposed to do. And so my wife and I, we began to pray. We talked to our leaders at the church we were at. We spent from January of 03 until August of 04, however many months that is, a lot. Nearly two years praying. And it wasn't until that near that August point of the year later that I began to just start to feel in myself, maybe, maybe. But that was a long time for me to pray about that. And I didn't think it should take that long, quite honestly. Todd, I thought, man, if God wants me to do this, he should just let me know, right? Just tell me. But behind the scenes, in our hearts, we don't always know what God's up to to get us ready for the next thing. And there were some things he was getting us ready for, for the next thing, which took time, which took being able. I'm not going to tell you I was always patient. Because I was like, well, I'm just giving up on this. I'm, I'm tired of praying about this. If you want me to do it, I'll do it. If not, I'm not. I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to even think about it anymore. I kind of got that way sometimes too. But the Lord would not let it go. I had to take the time to listen. Number three, and this is my final one today. I'll stop at this one. 
Joshua 11. You guys good? Okay, Joshua 11. We're talking about living for the future. And I know it's not a topic we always sit around thinking about, especially when we're young. Thinking about the future, we're thinking about now, we're thinking about what we can get, we're thinking about what's, what's for lunch. Right? I get it. We don't always live for the long road. We don't always commit to the long game. We don't always think that way, especially in, 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 in the United States. Because, man, aren't Sunday mornings supposed to be kind of casual? Aren't we kind of supposed to just kind of get up, get ready? Hey, church is today. We'll get there. I pull out of my neighborhood. Nobody coming. I don't get but a half a mile down the road and someone is on my tail. I look up, I'm like, I've got my coffee and I'm just enjoying the quiet ride to church this morning and somebody is right up on me. And I'm thinking, where did you come from? Well, at first, I just wanted to break check the joker. And I thought, well, that's not going to be good. And we drive, and he's still, you know, they're still back and forth right on me. And they get to the main highway of 45, and we turn, and he's behind me there all the way to the next stop. And then he turns, and I thought, I almost gave him the look. And I thought, well, that wouldn't be right either. And then I thought, well, maybe someone is sick. And he's on his way to get emergency groceries or the emergency medicine or whatever. My point being is the Holy Spirit humiliated me and checked me and said, you don't always know what's going on in someone else's world. And I don't even know why I told you that other than just to make myself look bad, I guess. I don't know. I don't even remember what that had anything to do with. Joshua 11. So they continue to encounter all of these enemies. And I mean, by this time, as you can imagine, Joshua and Israel have been licking everybody, taking them all down over the span of time. And so they keep trying to find ways in this, in this particular chapter, 11, it's some of the northern territory. And they join together. They join forces to come against Israel. And they continue to fight. And as you can imagine, man, you've been in, you've been in some warfare for quite a while. You kind of get tired, right? You've been praying through some things. You kind of get tired. You've been holding out for God to come through, and you kind of get tired. You kind of deal with the same old person every day, and it is grit you, they just you go against the grain, and you're like, I don't know what else to do with you, I don't want to curse you out, I'm supposed to love you, I'm supposed to be nice, I'm just getting tired of doing that, tired of being nice, all the above, and you're waging spiritual warfare through life, dealing with life, and it kind of gets to you, Joshua and them were finding themselves in this place, not again, Five more kings and nations coming together to come against us. How much more can I deal with? Anybody been there? How much more can I handle? Well, they keep going. Look at this in verse 17, chapter 11. 
said the Israelite territory now extended all the way from Mount Helak, which leads up to Seir in the south, as far as north as Baal Gad and the foot of Mount Hermon in the valley of Lebanon. And Joshua killed all the kings of those territories. Yeah, he did. Waging war for a long time to accomplish this. How many prayers have we given up on because it's taken so long? How many opportunities have we let go because we stopped trusting the Lord? It says in verse 19, No one in this region made peace with the Israelites except the Hivites of Gibeon. Those are the people they made peace with early on in chapter 9. Since all the others were defeated. Here's this third one for today, final one. Living for the future. How can we do that? To teach our family and to model that we have to fight the good fight of faith. You want to gain ground? You got to go to prayer. You want to gain ground? You got to persevere. You want to gain ground? You got to keep going. You got to keep fighting. You got to keep doing it. I wish I could tell you there's an easy button. I spoke about that last week. There's an easy there's not an easy button in faith. There's not an easy button. But I got to believe, man, if 2.56 billion people are following Jesus in some capacity at some level, it's not our place to judge where these people are. But if 2.56 billion out of 8 billion are following the Lord, something must be going right. Somebody somewhere must still be praying. Somebody somewhere still must be fasting. Somebody somewhere must still be preaching the truth, the gospel. Somebody somewhere must still be witnessing. Somebody somewhere must still be loving the hard person to love. Somebody somewhere must still be at this thing. And no, I don't want to see the projections of these statistics come to pass, especially here in the United States, where the population of Christianity would reach below 50%. No, not on our watch, not in our lifetime, not while we're at the helm, not while we have breath in our lungs, not while we have a purpose for the, to live for. Not while we have the freedoms we have to gather in a church. No, we can't. What do we do? We must continue to fight the good fight of faith. Some of the final words of Joshua, or excuse me, of Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Verse 12, he tells Timothy, hey, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. At a day and time where so many people are deconstructing their faith, what they were taught and being raised now suddenly in this time of life, in this season of this world, questioning, is it true? 
Paul had to admonish Timothy, who was a preacher of the gospel, hold tight to the eternal life. Don't loosen your grip, man. Keep fighting the good fight to which you have confessed so well before so many witnesses. And then what we have made famous, Paul's ultimate final words to Timothy in his next letter, chapter 4. He says, Timothy, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. Not perfect, but I have remained faithful, he says. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge... He personally will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. To those who continue to fight the good fight. In one of his earlier letters to the Corinthian believers, he said, hey, in a race everybody runs... But what you need to learn to do is run to win. Because only one actually gets the prize. That is the one who wins. That is the one who perseveres. That is the one who completes in a timely manner. He says you need to fight and run in order to win your race. We all have a race. We all have a life. We all have a path in the Lord. But we don't live this one and only life just for us. Oh yeah, many people do. Many people do. But in the faith of Christ, in the Lordship of Jesus, we're not called to just live for ourselves. We're called to also ensure that others come along with us. We've been called into this great commission together. And living for the future... It means we have to teach and model with our life in this present moment to fight the good fight. I'll end with that portion of Joshua. And we'll pick up at another time.